Palace's last palace for just Ronaldo! on his right, hangs it up for Ronaldo, oh, nice settles, shoots, scores! Cristiano again! And he vaporizes the defenders! Ya acaba la derecha para Xavi. Asistencia de Xavi, mezca para esta, para Messi, 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 Immense Messi, Ankara 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 Protegeu, fez o drible, que lance do Neymar, que golaço! Gol! Guerreiro, here's Giroud, a deflection and Mbappé gives France the lead. The youngest ever goal scorer at a World Cup. For France, 19-year-old Kylian Mbappé. He just shook one, shook one. All right, everyone, welcome back to the third episode of Stoppage Time. I am very excited for this episode today. I've got a guest that I was looking forward to having on from the instant I thought I'd put this podcast together. A teacher of mine back when I was a uh, humble young freshman at St. John's Prep. Now, this guy knows I was a wise ass. Um, Eldon Santiago, he was a teacher of mine. I guess we have a 13-year age difference, but I used to look at him like he was he was a, a wise classmate of mine that I would learn from because this is probably the youngest teacher I ever had in my life. Now is a dean uh, at LaSalle and just an unbelievable human being. I'm not surprised to see his professional success and his family success. Eldon Santiago, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Uh, this is uh, something that's been a long time in the making, I think, with the, your, uh, your last podcast and and hoping to, you know, we, we wanted to put something together, uh, get on an episode and just, you know, talk, uh, talk football, something that you and I are both, uh, I think, equally passionate about and knowledgeable about, too. Uh, I think there are a lot of passionate people out there, but I think they, you know, they, they go with the hot takes. And uh, I'm, I'm always uh, I was always impressed with your knowledge. Uh, you're a real student of the game, uh, and uh, I feel as am I, uh, having you know been a player, uh, having been a coach, uh, and uh, so yeah, this is this is stuff that I I love, and uh, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining, and I totally agree. I think both of us are very very passionate about the sport, about the history of the game, and I want would love for you to just give a quick background. You know, what does soccer mean to you growing up? What got you into it? I obviously know this stuff, but I think it's a great story yeah. and would love for you to give a high level to any, anyone that's listening. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I, I think I think like a lot of uh, kids that grow up uh, outside of the U.S., uh, I, I myself grew up in a third world country. Uh, I grew up, uh, you know, very humble, um, to say the least. Um, and playing soccer was just 
you know, that was something that I can remember doing as far back as my memory goes, you know, uh, with my uh, with my cousins and uncles um, outside, uh, you know, up in our rooftop terrace outside in the neighborhood. Um, we lived near a dirt soccer field where myself and the other neighborhood kids would spend hours and hours on end just out there playing um, uh, until it was too dark to see, <laughs> you know, when um, growing up and, and the kid in the neighborhood that had a soccer ball basically was the king of the neighborhood because, uh, you know, you wanted to be that kid's friend. And uh, so that that's, that's why I fell in love with it, man, just watching. And I think um, if I look, if I'm being honest with myself, uh, looking back, two very uh, seminal moments, I think, for me uh, growing up that really sort of hooked me deep. Um, watching uh, the golden generation of Portugal uh, in 1991 when the uh, U21 World Cup, I believe it was. Um, and, you know, players who were on that team who went on to have legendary careers, like Luis Figo was one of those guys who stands out, uh, who then went on to be a star player at both Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, and and Rui Costa, who played for, you know, his entire career in Italy. So you probably, uh, I know you're very familiar with him, most notably AC Milan was really where he, you know, solidified himself as one of the best midfielders in the world. Uh, and, and the list goes on. And I can sit over here and name players after players. But watching those guys win that tournament uh, as a five, six-year-old kid. Uh, and then uh, a few summers later in 1994, sorry, Matt, but when my beloved Brazil uh, took down Italy in the uh, World Cup, hey, hey, hey. Um, <laughs> the World Cup final. Uh, <laughs> watching uh, watching that Brazil team play, man, it was just like I was just blown away by the uh, the creativity, the athleticism, and, and just just how amazing those players were. And Romario and Bebeto and 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 the goalkeeper Tafarel, and I mean, just the list again goes on and on. Um, and, you know, baby Ronaldo was like, Ronaldo was a baby on that team, you know? Uh, yeah, he was on the squad, but he didn't really play, right? Correct. He never played. But just just thinking about, like, how how great that team was that Ronaldo never really played. Uh, right, and, and yeah. yes, you're right. He was young, but uh, that team was just so loaded, man. And, um, yeah, so I look back at those two tournaments because we didn't really have access to watch games the way, you know, kids – can grow up. I mean, there's practically a game every day of the week if you want to watch, you know what I mean? Uh, but for us, it was whatever game was being televised in the one channel. That... And you guys didn't have Paramount Plus? <laughs> we Peacock. did not. No, no, no Peacock, no uh, Sky Sports, uh, BN Sports, none of that stuff existed, man. So we watched what was on. Um, so uh, those, those, you know, those were, I think, two very important moments, I think, for me as a kid growing up and, and, and watching those guys do it and win at that level and saying, wow, like that, that's what it looks like. That's what it's supposed to look like. You know, I think one of the best experiences I ever had in my life was it was with you. And it was actually twice is we were fortunate enough. The school that you taught me at St. John's prep, they, mm -hmm. uh, we had what was called cultural immersion trips where we got to go down to yeah. Ecuador and yeah. meet people who lived in this community that one of my biggest takeaways was their social life seemed to be built around soccer. Everybody oh, yeah. would get together at the fields and we would go and mm -hmm. we would do the same. Um, yeah. you no, know, part of our, the best part of our trip was it was a cultural immersion trip. So we went there to meet the people and to literally just spend time and, and learn a little bit more about their lives and, and vice versa. And yeah. I thought one of the best experiences we had was everywhere we went, 
community was being built around soccer. Yeah. Um, you, and you felt like you got a lot of that in your own personal life too, which. I yeah. Think- yeah, no, absolutely. That was, um, that for me took me back to my childhood, you know, uh, the futsal, um, uh, um, and it feels for lack of a better expression, but, uh, you know, just playing on, on, on the hard top and, um, you know, playing small ball. And that's where you learn a lot of those skills and you see a lot of the, you know, ridiculously skillful players, uh, you know, the Ronaldinho's of this world. We'll talk about him a little bit later, you know, uh, you know, but players like that who grew up playing, you know, small sided soccer and really honing in those skills and in, in, in really close quarters. And um, yeah, man, those, those two years that we had uh, in Ecuador, I think especially the first year, because it was my first year as well with uh, with James Barry uh, that we went. Um, and I don't know if you remember when we were uh, we were at Mount Sinai and uh, those local guys uh, wanted to play uh, against us and, and they wanted to bet. And we told them, no, we'll play you guys. <laughs> we're not betting anything. And, yeah. you know, they uh, they were under the impression that we were some gringos. They were getting ready to, to police. And uh, we came out and completely blew them away. And they were shell-shocked. <laughs> and then, well, they were right. Uh, I, was, I was the gringo. Remember me? Uh, they, they put me in goal and I made some saves and they were like, hey, listen, man, you were an animal in that, man. You were, you, 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 you were like uh, a young Buffon and they're like, nothing got past. Oh yeah, man. I loved it. They were like, oh boy, Gordito. That's how yeah. it is. <laughs> they, yeah. They, then at the that end, was going so up fun. The, <laughs> yeah. Telling those guys at the end, I was like, aren't you glad we didn't bet you because you guys, would, you guys would have been out some serious coin. <laughs> It was a great time. This is what I mean, man. This is the kind of stuff. So when I always talk about like, and I mentioned this in my first episode, you know, I didn't grow up playing, playing soccer. I grew up playing football. I grew up playing the American football, but my family was always so into soccer. So Mm -hmm. I was learning from them. And then I would say more so like, like I had said in that first episode, I really got interested in it young to try and relate to my grandfather, but it was the passion that he spoke about the game with. Mm-hmm. Um, that really got me into it and made me so passionate. And now all these years later of following the sport, learning about the sport, um, yeah. I have that same passion. But it's the way that the sport brings people together and creates a community. It's not a sport of privilege. You can play it anywhere at any time. You don't have to be that good. People just won't pass you the yeah. ball, but, you know, you yeah. can play, you know, like you can. And mm-hmm. that's what I always loved about it. And I just was so grateful that we got that experience together. Um, yeah. Kind of jumping into the European game, right? Mm-hmm. I know you're a big Arsenal fan, and I wanted to have you on the show today, mm-hmm. not just because I love you as a person and I know how much you you know and love the game, but uh, this is unbelievable what Arsenal's doing this season. <laughs> yeah, nobody would have predicted that they would have been in first place. Let's just call it as it is, right? I I, yeah. I know that last season, getting fifth, almost getting that Champions League spot, you could clearly see the growth in the squad. You got to give Arteta a ton of credit for that, but mm-hmm. nobody saw them reaching first place. I mean, in your mind, what was your like prediction? If you were going to go back in time, what would you have said Arsenal have finished? Like before the season started. So, so that's a great question, and I think with some of the additions that we brought in, I definitely felt like um, we were the trajectory was you know was headed in the right direction. Um, I think Gabriel Jesus was a huge signing for us. I think just because of the winning pedigree that he brought in, um, you know, I, gosh, I, I, I hated watching him play against Arsenal when he, 
when he was with Man City, like the guy's engine, he just never stopped. And 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 he's on the ball, he's super dangerous. And uh, off the ball, playing defense, he presses so hard um, that it. Um, as as an Arsenal fan, I hated that. And and now that he's wearing the shirt, uh, I appreciate the work that he does. And and you know, he he started off really hot in the season and kind of cooled off as far as the goals but I mean he's still like I mean he's the assists are there and and all the work that he's doing to open up opportunities for other guys and um so to you know to answer your question uh, that was a huge pickup for us and I felt that all right we're gonna we're gonna contend to be in the top four again um th that was I think the optimistic um feeling that I had and I would probably say a lot of Arsenal fans had I don't think that um, I don't think that anyone saw this jump uh, or the progression happening so fast. Now, of course, there's still a lot of, you know, games to be played. But uh, from what they've done so far of just being super competitive and any game, even when you go down like a couple of, you know, a couple of games ago, you go down one nothing to West Ham and you just look at the team and there's just no panic. It's, just it's like, not over right. anymore. Yeah. yeah. And then they just come out and absolutely blow them away. Um, and and just the difference with this team, Matt, is that they can go to another level. They can go to another gear that I don't think they've had in the past. Um, and I think that uh, the huge catalyst for that has been Arteta and implementing yes. his system and uh, and ownership for being uh, smart enough to go out and get him and bring him in and make him the make him the the, the coach uh, and and giving him time to implement the system and to go out and get some guys that are going to fit, you know, what he's trying to do. And I think that the players have bought into it. Um, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact of, of who Arteta is, you know, having been a player for the club, having worn the captain's band and, and, and having the respect. A lot of those young Arsenal Academy products that are now, you know, in the first team, they saw Arteta as the team captain when they were coming up through the ranks. And so uh, there's a tremendous amount of respect and buy-in from those guys. And I think that that trickles down to other players that, that have been brought in uh, to the squad. And you could tell that there's a lot of cohesion with the team. And, um, and, and that in turn has helped the, the fan base really get excited about things. I mean, it was really toxic there for a while. I mean, it was, a shower of booze, you know, you had the winger out, you know, Cronky out, like it was just a toxic uh, fan base. But, uh, you know, over the last a couple of years, that started to turn and um, to be where they are right now is is, is absolutely uh, a, a welcome surprise, I would say. Um, and I'm hopeful that they can continue. I, what I think is so impressive about Arsenal that people probably aren't even talking about enough is how much they've integrated that youth into the team. Like, if you look at it, Bukayo mm -hmm. Saka, 21 years old. Martinelli, 21 yeah. years old. Huge improvement from Martinelli this season. Improvement, yeah. for sure, from Saka, mm -hmm. but I think he was already trending this way. Right. Martinelli, I mean, he was he was an excellent player. I think everyone saw that there were some flashes. This season, the consistency is there for Martinelli mm -hmm. at a rate that I don't think we expected from, from him. He's 21. I mean, I think there's yeah. still some leeway when you're that young. Um, and then even, even Gabrielle too. I mean, he's been with the team now three, this is his third season, I believe. Yes. Um, they've really integrated some strong youth, young players 
who are becoming and going to be veterans at a very, very soon. Um, yeah. I think by the Saka, he's been there four years now. He's been a, or he might have been there five. I know he's played and started. Yeah, I think he came up. He came up when he was seventeen, so he was he was fairly young when he came up. Yep. Um, and, and and you're right. That's that's a great point that you bring, and and not just the the youth that have come up through the academy, but the players that they've targeted uh, in the transfer market. Um, you know, Arsenal's never really been the club who's you know gonna drop a ton of cash on players. They just you know, we the pockets are not that deep. You know, you're not talking about a PSG or a Man City uh, or Chelsea or even like a team like Real Madrid where the, the aura is just there uh, and the pedigree is just there. So players are naturally going to want to come. So I feel like Arsenal always has to um, really do their due diligence um, in, in, in the players that they want to recruit to bring into the club. But um, uh, it's nice to see that the, the owners have sort of caught on to the fact that in that sport, in that league, you have to spend money. Um, I mean, you know, you know, that doesn't mean you spend 400 million every year like certain clubs in the Premier League seem to name do. Chelsea. Yeah, and listen, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna, gonna name names like Chelsea and Man City, but correct. And you know, but like Arsenal, I felt like that's always been even from you know the time that Wenger was there. It was always you know, bring up the youth guys from the academy, develop them, or uh, and couple that with going out to get young players who have not yet hit their prime, bring them in, integrate them into the system. And I mean, if you look, like you mentioned Martinelli, you mentioned Saka, um, Gabriel in defense, Gabriel Jesus, Martin Odegaard, uh, all those guys are under 25 years old. I, I forgot to mention William Saliba. Name. Yeah. Uh, because when I think of Odegaard's youth, I think about him as a Real Madrid player. That they yeah. don't want anymore. That was Correct. a pretty bad decision, huh? Hey, listen, man, $30 million for Martin Odegaard. Holy smokes, man. What, oh, a, what a I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you. And again, I, I don't I don't mean to to poke the bear in this one, but I feel like um that is probably one of the biggest coup, if you will, right after uh the Thierry on re-signing from Juventus. Thank you very much for that. You know, those eleven million dollars. Uh he stunk know, for you. Okay. That, that that worked out well for for <laughs> Arsenal, but uh, I mean, what a what a signing that was, man. Um, and and he's just he's just so damn good. He's so creative, and he pulls the strings, and um, and he's the sort of player that can take over the game, um, you know. And so you got that, and then you have Emil Smith Rowe, who's been really banged up and hasn't right. really been able to contribute this year, but you put him in the mix, you know, the goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale, you know, all those guys are all in the twenty five and. Um, it's an exciting time to be a fan and, and, and hopefully a couple two, you know, two things, hopefully they can maintain the form and obviously stay healthy. Um, you know, you mentioned Martinelle's inconsistency and a lot of that I think was just not being able to, to stay healthy, but this year, you know, he's done a great job of, of, of being available and, uh, the proof is out there in his play, man. So no um, doubt about it. I want to stick with the system, right? I think that it's yeah. a very interesting team. You got Gabrielle Saliba, Ben White at the back and like mm -hmm. Zinchenko technically is if you look at the formation, it looks yeah. like he's playing left back, but he's got a very interesting position. Sometimes yeah. he moves into the midfield and then they'll shift Gabrielle a little bit to the left, right? Mm -hmm. And then Saliba's the more central center back, and Ben White can play his more natural position as a yeah. right center back. They really do mm -hmm. a lot of the shifting around in this formation. Sometimes we even see Ben White, and we actually mm -hmm. see it pretty much every game with Arsenal. He'll make overlapping runs too. Yeah. So it's yeah. A, it's an, what how would you describe Arsenal's system? If you so were that, 
Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great uh, point. Uh, during the summertime, obviously Saliba has been a player who, you know, we, we signed, uh, you know, three years ago. Um, and he has just now this season been able to get into the team. And and you kind of sense that there was frustration there from his part. And so thinking, I was like, all right, well, obviously we have Ben White and we have Gabriel and, you know, Saliba. Like something's got to give. One of those guys isn't going to play regularly. Um, or they could opt to go to a back three um, and then play, you know, like maybe like a, a three, four, three or three, uh, five, two, you know, just thinking about like, you know, different ways in which Arteta can incorporate and, and, and put the best 11 guys out there. And I think, again, the genius of Arteta as a tech, uh, as a technician um, to do exactly what you just said, you know, have Zinchenko out there as a left back, but he really operates as a roaming midfielder, to be honest right. with you. Um, he, alongside uh, Partey, um, who drops back in that defensive midfield uh, position. Uh, and then you allow those three guys in the back to just really, you know, uh, start the attack really back there. I mean, so often you see those guys passing the ball back and forth between the three of them. And then one of them finds a passing lane into like Odegaard or, or Osaka or, or, or Xhaka and boom, we're right in the attacking third. So uh, I, I think he's done a great job of, of using the skill set of the players that he has available to him um, and, and really manipulating the system to those guys and what they do best so that he can get those best 11 guys out there. And Nobody does um, that either. I'm great. sorry to cut you off, but how rare is it that you see a Premier League team uh, like a big Premier League team mm-hmm. try and just use what they have available rather than going to the transfer market, making the marquee signing. It's mm-hmm. pretty rare. And that's another, it's another impressive aspect of what Arsenal's built here. I yeah. think also just the work that Martinelli and Saka put into helps and having that midfield, those two midfielders in Saka and Partey in particular to do so much of that dirty work for you in the middle of the park is so yeah. helpful. It feels like it's a not really not selfish team, and mm-hmm. that is also a pretty big aspect of why they've had so much success as a team. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? You know what I, I think that um, that that's sort of always been the identity uh, of the team of the club. Um, again, to and and I keep hammering this point, but to develop the talent that you have. Um, Arsenal has never really been one of those clubs, as I said, that's going to drop a ton of money uh, in, in the transfer market. Um, I mean, they certainly have ambitions, as, as I would imagine, as I would hope. Uh, any big club who wants to continue to be uh, relevant and wants to continue to be at the top, um, wants to be in the conversation of the elite clubs in the world. But, uh, you know, they're not going to do that every transfer market and and, and developing. And, and in some ways, also reinventing players. I mean... Uh, Granit Xhaka, for example, is a player who came in from from the German league from um, from Mönchengladbach, and um, I I feel like for so long they tried to shoehorn him into a holding defensive mid- midfield position that he is not. Right. He, he doesn't have the mobility or or the athleticism, I think, to play that position to be able to um, you know really pivot, you know, and and um, and go left to right, and, and so uh, some of the some of the red cards that he's gotten in the past, and and some of the compromising situations he's put himself in, um, I, I think was because of him 
being shoehorned into that position. And Arteta has played him much more advanced this year as a number eight, where he has the freedom to, to really go forward and not worry so much about the defensive stuff um, as the last line of defense. And uh, that's made a huge improvement. I mean, he was a player that was honestly uh, beginning to be an afterthought. I mean, he was practically had one foot uh, in Rome to go play for Roma, and I'm sure he got uh, booed off the pitch at one point for our. He did, he did, yeah. Uh, he was demoted as captain, and so yeah, his his career at Arsenal was all but dead. Yeah, and uh, Arteta came into the squad, you know, put his arms around him, saying, "I want you here, and um, and we're gonna figure out how we're gonna best use you." And you're seeing a lot of that this year, and he's gone from uh, a liability at times to like he is, you know. He's like one of the first names on the team sheet, you know, that midfield as is and 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 what they do and the work rate and and, and how they create. Um, so it's uh, as a fan, it, it's great to see, um, you know, the beautiful game being played uh, at Arsenal again. And, and, and it's very quick. It's possession football. It's attacking football. It's recycling the ball. It's it's looking to pick the other team apart. Um now it's not always perfect, but it's it's getting back to the way that it, it used to be, um, and it's really exciting um, for the future. I think for anyone who's a supporter of the team. So, obviously, the competition is Manchester City. I think we're at the point now in the Premier mm-hmm. League season, even though mm-hmm. it's a lot earlier than people might recognize, um, yeah. because we had played only fourteen games before the World Cup. Right. Uh, I still just the feel of this season shows everybody that this is going to be a two horse race. Mm-hmm. Maybe Newcastle get back in, get into it and start getting involved in the title race. Should mm-hmm. city and Arsenal start to drop points often? Mm-hmm. I just, I don't necessarily see it city only one point up on Newcastle right now, but they have two games in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, city still have to play Arsenal too, unfortunately. Correct. Correct. Yes. They're, yeah. they're, they're the main competition here. This is one of the best teams in the world, without question. They already were one of the best teams in the world. They already had a system that mm-hmm. Pep Guardiola had implemented very effectively. They have a league They have a league title um, winning machine, basically, in Manchester, and they inserted yeah. Erling Holland into that. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they've still managed to drop points, though. Yeah. How sustainable is this lead for Arsenal? Listen, man, I'm I'm very <laughs> I'm a very worrisome fan. Um, I, I think that um, as as you said, you know, Man City's. I mean, Arsenal could be up 15 points on Man City, and I, and I'll think that that's not enough of a lead. Like, I'll, you know, <laughs> I won't. Uh, like, I'll 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 rest when they're lifting the trophy. To be honest with you, I'm I'm that sort of fan. Um, I I think. I think Man City, as you said, um, is a great team. You can't discount them, although thank you, Everton, for the help uh, you provided uh, over the past weekend. Um, Mari Gray, baby, what a goal. Yeah, yeah, that was – you know what? Interestingly, the Mari Gray scored an identical goal against Arsenal last year, which yeah. uh, <laughs> which I really remember. sucked at the time. So, uh, you know, I'm glad he was able to replicate that. He's paid it forward. He's that same magic, yep, and, uh, and, and, and give that to City. Um, listen, man, I, I think Man City is just, even though I, I, we're obviously first right now, I feel like we're, we're still chasing Man City because, uh, and I think that what they have over Arsenal is just the depth in the squad. Yep. 
I think that, you know, they have players that they can bring in. I mean, they could they could essentially have a whole other Premier League team if they wanted. If they wanted to play only their backups, I think they'd have a very good chance of finishing in the top five in the Premier League. That is not an understatement. Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I I think they, they, again, it's the spending power that they have where they can, you know, bring in guys left and right um, and, and, and bid for players that probably they don't need, but they just want. Um, but you know, that's, that's, that's the model. Uh, that's how they do things over there in city. Um, you know, since they're, uh, you know, since the owners came in and, and invested a great deal of money into the club, um, you know, Hey, listen, you know, I, I think as a neutral fan, people probably really enjoy that. I, I don't, <laughs> I no. don't, I feel like, uh, I, I still harbor some ill will towards city. They built their, uh, they built their empire at the, at the expense of Arsenal, by signing some of our best players, really at the time with uh, Colo Torre, um, Gael Clichy, um, and uh, both of those top defenders at Arsenal, uh, uh, Adebayor, who was tipped to <laughs> sort of be the heir apparent to Thierry Henry, uh, and uh, Man City came in and just threw a lot of money at him. So uh, I was salty from it back then. I'm still salty about it. So uh, I want to see Man City fail. Um, so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think most of us. I think most of us who are fans, you mentioned neutral perspective. Maybe yeah. even from a neutral perspective, it's somewhat entertaining to see. I'd actually argue that I think Man- Manchester City style is way too passive. It works mm. in the Premier League because it's like, yeah. how's a lower level Premier League team going to take the ball off these guys? Like right. they just aren't right, and it's an effective league winning system. I don't doubt that for a second. But mm-hmm. a, they're actually massive underachievers. I know that mm-hmm. might sound crazy to some people when you look at how many Premier League titles they've racked up under Pep Guardiola, but yeah, really gone nowhere fast in the Champions League. They made the final one time, kind of yeah. got embarrassed if you ask me. I think mm-hmm. Pep playing Pep playing two man midfield in that game was yeah. extremely questionable. Um, and that just kind of is a, another pattern in his career where he makes dumb tactical decisions, uh, played a back three against Leon a few years back for the first time yeah. the whole season, bounced him out of the Champions League. I don't think they're yeah. a very likable team at all. I think actually everyone's rooting for Arsenal. Well, I hope so, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I mean, and as an Arsenal fan, um, see, I, as an Arsenal fan, I, I should hate Liverpool, but I don't. Um, I, I've always I've always respected the hell out of Liverpool. Uh, Steven Gerrard was one of the players that I've always really admired. Uh, everything about his game, um, you know, his professionalism, um, and, and everything that he meant for the club as the captain, as the emotional leader. So he was he was definitely one of the players that the more I got involved with the Premier League as a as a fan, um, you know, I, I start I started following the league very closely as Gerard was coming up through the ranks uh, and making his senior debut with the Liverpool team. And so I really had the, you know, I was fortunate to watch his entire career. Um, and, and yeah, I, um, when Liverpool was, was winning leagues and, and winning champions leagues as an Arsenal fan, I'm not supposed to like that, but uh, they're not a, they're not a dislikable team, as you mentioned, you know what I mean? They're, you know, they've got guys, same thing that they brought in through their system, guys that they went out and bought and developed. They spent their fair share of cash um, uh, over there at Liverpool, but uh, yeah, I don't have the amount of disdain for <laughs> Liverpool well, they, that I have. They, they have. They're in the situation where they have to pay 
for a yeah. mistake in the transfer market, right? Yes. And I think that's kind of the whole the whole measurement stick, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Um, for most teams, you pay for it when you make a big yeah. mistake, even on a yeah. sixty million euro signing. Um, anything anything north of fifty, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna really pay for it for years mm-hmm. to come, and. Yeah. For Manchester City, it doesn't matter. We see it with Jack Grealish. What did they yeah. spend forty million on Nat Phillips too to rot on the bench when he yeah. was a starter for Leeds? I mean, like that's just right. one small example. But you yeah. can poke you can poke holes at this Manchester City team in a million different ways. Like they literally have got guys like Bernardo Silva coming off the bench um, mm-hmm. who would start at any other club. Sometimes Foden's coming off the bench for them. Uh, yeah. It's 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 pretty ridiculous. You look at Liverpool there not afforded that same kind of privilege. And you also have to mm-hmm. respect what Klopp has built over there um, in those years. He, he didn't yeah. do it by signing hundred million Euro players. They signed yeah. Salah when Salah had two good years at, after Salah had two good years yeah. at Roma, maybe a half good year at Fiorentina before that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He was a known player, but nobody knew he'd go to the premier league and score 44 goals in all comps. Yeah, um, I mean, he he was because uh, he was at Chelsea uh, and they early. sold him. Yeah. yeah, he was early on. Yeah, so that yeah. you know, great great job there by the scouting department. That's what I mean. They uh, do good business, and I don't know if you can point to Man City yeah. and say that they've yeah. done a lot of great business. They've been afforded the opportunity to get some of the best players in the world because they have Pep in a lot of ways for sure. Um, You're right. They have deep they can, exactly because they can yeah. throw the bag at them from a wage yeah. perspective. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, because I don't know, man, I, uh, a lot of people, uh, I think, listen, I'll, I'll, he has quite the impressive resume. I will say that, but, uh, I think Pep is, I would argue that from a tactical standpoint, I think more often than not, he gets it right. I think you pointed out some instances where you're kind of scratching your head, like what the hell is he doing? But I think tactically, uh, and that was the case at Barcelona and at Bayern Munich and now at City. I think he's a great tactical mind, but I don't think he's a great coach. I don't, he doesn't develop players. He just goes out and he spends and, and he buys. I mean, the team that What's he the biggest had, challenge he's yeah. had in his whole career? Yeah. Well, What's his challenge? The team he, he hasn't because the team that he won with in Barcelona, Frank Reichard put that team together. And, and Pep just kind of came in and won. And he goes over to Bayern, and same thing. I mean, no one's competing with Bayern in Germany. Um, just Dortmund, and whenever Dortmund has any good players, Bayern just buys them from them because, again, they have the buying power. And then he comes over to Man City, and same thing. He gets handed a blank check to say, hey, go out and sign whoever you want to bring in. And so you're right. He's never been challenged. And so until I see Pep Guardiola come in to a team like, I don't know, you know, put him at Real Sociedad or, or put him at a uh, Brentford or some other team like that that doesn't have that kind of buying power, but that he can come in and implement the same system and get the same success. Then then I'll tip my cap to him and say he's a great coach. But Well, well the just- bar has been set really high, right? Like if you look at some of the greatest managers in history, like that's all Mourinho ever did was elevate teams. Nowadays, Mourinho's ass, but that's because yes. he he won't evolve with the modern game. You're he, right. He has he's, become he's a, a, di- he's a dinosaur, right? Yes. But I think un- it's unfortunate for the people who are just starting to watch the game because they don't realize that he came up bringing Porto to a treble, and then he moved on yeah. to then he moved on to Chelsea and won the Premier League a few times when the Premier League was incredibly competitive, and yeah. literally Manchester United was dominating that league, and they were still two, three other huge teams then. Arsenal was still great back then. Liverpool was Mm -hmm. probably at their peak. 
Um, and then he moved on to Inter and won the treble. First and only yeah. Italian team to ever win the treble. Went to Real Madrid the next year and knocked off Pep's Barcelona from the yeah. league title. Didn't get a Champions League there with that Real Madrid team. But at that time, football was just so stacked with European great the great teams yeah. in Europe. Um, so either way, you look at Pep, the bar has been set pretty high. People do consider him the greatest manager of all time. I certainly don't. For the I do not either. So – Let's yeah. just let's wrap on on Manchester City and Arsenal mm-hmm. with this question, right? You and I actually talked about this just a little earlier. The mm-hmm. biggest weakness that I see in Arsenal, beside the lack of depth, which you pointed out, um, as compared to some of the other big teams, is that they play a very attacking style of play. They go for it. They're bold. I I respect that. But they mm-hmm. don't have much pace at the back when it comes to Gabriel and Saliba. They're not very pacey center backs. We've seen them get caught out a few times when they play that high line. Guys make a run, run in behind them, and it's over with. We saw it against Manchester United. Um, mm-hmm. And we saw some pretty shaky defense, especially in that Brighton game, even most recently. Yeah. Correct. So do you think this team can hold? You have to play Manchester City twice. Yeah. How does this team, how does this team take on Manchester City? Um. That's a great question. And you're right. Uh, I feel like when you talk about like weakness or areas that the team needs to improve, I would say that that's, that has, uh, you know, that that's the one glaring thing, I think um, the lack of pace in the back. And so when you play against the teams that have those really, really fast, pacey wingers or forwards uh, that, that gives them trouble, you know, um, I, 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 I think going forward, uh, the organization of, of the team is going to be very important uh, to be able to take down Man City. Now, Arteta has done that, um, having done that um, in the semifinals for the uh, FA Cup uh, a couple of seasons ago. Um, and, uh, and, and I mean, against the run of play, really, I think City must have had like 60 to 65% possession that game, Arsenal just sat back, defended, possessed when they could, and hit them on the counter um, and ended up winning 2-0 uh, that game. If I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a 2-0 score. A um, couple of goals from uh, from Obama Young. Uh, so um, I, I think I think Arteta, the, one of the advantages we have is that he knows those players. He knows that system. He knows what Pep wants to do. And I think Arteta... Uh, is equipped and he has, I think, the team to be able to counter move Pep Guardiola. Um, so we uh, will see. I mean, and even the games that we played them last year, um, uh, you know, heartbreaker really uh, towards the end uh, of the game where, you know, Rodri comes in an extra time and, you know, gets a, gets oh, a yeah, that was horrible. You know, which, which is heartbreaking. So uh, I think the gap between Arsenal and Man City uh, on the pitch is not as wide as some people might think. And, and I think that Arteta can be the X factor there because of, um, of his uh, willingness to adapt to who uh, they're lining up against. You know, some, uh, some coaches say this is, you know, you mentioned Mourinho, you know, some coaches like this is what I play. This is what I do. And this is what I'm going to do. Uh, Arteta is, you know, not going to do that. He's going to say, oh, who do we have this week? How do we best attack them to get the best result? And, and I, I feel like he's going to put the team in the position, the best position to succeed. Uh, they, they come off on the front foot. You saw that in the Liverpool game. They want to come out right away and attack. I mean, they scored two minutes into that game. 
Um, and, and I feel like that's what they're going to want to do. Um, Saka and Martinelli are going to go at those outside backs and they're going to put pressure on them. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, I like our ability to, you know, go to toe with Man City and, and hopefully we get a positive result in those games, you know. I, I think it's really interesting. You you brought up a few things that I thought was really interesting there. I just want to touch on this one particular thing. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked a little bit earlier about Arsenal's style of play and how they like to have the ball. It's a possession-based system. But yeah. I think one of the most interesting things I found from watching Arsenal is that they don't necessarily have a system. You said it yourself. Arteta will play how they have to play to win that particular game. And I do think that's really unique. Some people love to see teams just – have a system, be great at it, and no matter even though you know what's coming, you still can't stop it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I love that Arsenal are a little malleable. Do you feel like they can play a game against Manchester City similar to the way that Liverpool played Manchester City in the game that Liverpool won at Anfield? One nil, mm-hmm. patient, got their took their chances when they had them on the counterattack. Is that the way that they play uh, against against a team like Manchester City, or are they going to yeah. have to go at them right from the onset? I, I think I think they this year they've shown a willingness to really go at them and and not having this mentality of oh okay we're gonna we're gonna try to hang on and 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 maybe squeeze out a result here. Um, and I, again, I bring back that Liverpool game where they just. They just went right at Liverpool right from the get-go. Uh, and it was a back-and-forth uh, affair. Um, uh, I, I think that um, I think that Arteta will want to go at him, um, uh, rather go at Man City. But if in the play of the game, Man City is possessing the ball, uh, not allowing Arsenal to attack the way that they want to, I, I don't think that there's any panic there. And uh, I think that the, the team is fine with playing without the majority of possession because I, I think that they're very organized. Uh, they defend well, the forwards press. Um, that That is something that Arteta brought over from his time as a assistant coach at Man City. Um, so I think yeah. one of the, one of the, one of the, I think main reasons he wanted to bring in Gabriel Jesus is because of the fact that he does that very well. That has been very infectious. I think with the rest of the team, I mean, um, it, it, to watch them work without the ball, I think is great because even when you lose possession, you know, in the next, you know, in the next uh, 15, 20, 30 seconds, they're going to get it back because they just, they are relentless in their pursuit of getting back possession. And, and uh, so is Man City. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really good clash uh, of two teams that are playing very good soccer right now. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's going to be great entertainment for a neutral fan. I think so, too. And I, I think what's it, it's going to be very interesting. I foresee Arteta taking a similar approach to mm-hmm. how Klopp approached that game against Manchester City um, where they did win. And Salah got that lone goal, and it was a little bit of a fluky goal. I think it was mm-hmm. tough defending from uh, Joel Cancelo. You could argue, and I would certainly argue, that Manchester City's defense is not as strong as people – think they are you talked about those wingers going at those outside backs mm-hmm. from Manchester City I don't think either of them are going to be able to handle either Martinelli or Saka 1v1 mm-hmm. um at the same time you know Italians always bring this up 
it's the devil's game. The more you attack, the more mm-hmm. you leave yourself vulnerable. And I could see Erling Holland, even if Arsenal's, you know, they played 10 great minutes, 15 mm-hmm. great minutes. They've, they look like they're in control. Erling Holland can change the game in an instant. Mm-hmm. And I do fear that situation for those set for both of those center backs right now. Saliba has been outstanding this mm-hmm. year. We've seen some shaky moments in the last couple of games. It's okay. He's young yeah. playing center backs hard. Mm-hmm. Look at the history of soccer. And that's the thing. We've been fans of our teams for a long time. So we've yeah. seen a lot of these guys come and go. It's like when you're a young player, I don't care how good you are. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not trying to criticize Saliba here. He's an unbelievable season. Um, Gabrielle, same deal. He makes a lot. He makes some mistakes here and there, but he's still twenty three. So, mm-hmm. I fe- I fear with their lack of pace and the style Arsenal will try and play that they might get a little too aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think the way you win this game is you have no fear when Manchester City had the ball. You do all the right things defensively. You stay organized and then you take your shot on the counter yeah. because Manchester City's defense isn't good enough. I don't yeah. think hold them down if they can keep them to. If they can keep it one one game for a long time, Arsenal's gonna have a great shot. No, I agree with you. And and, and of course Erling Holland's had an amazing season. Um, you know, there's there's no denying that. Um but I, I think that um I think the way he wants to play, he wants to play very physical. Uh, I, I listen, uh Gabriel, um, I would say if that's the knock on him is that he's overly aggressive. So um I, I think Gabriel and Celia are up for that fight. You know what I mean? Uh, I I think uh, that was a game that was circled on the calendar because that's especially with the season that uh, Holland is having. Um, I I think those two guys and and I'll throw Ben White in there too um, as as a central defender. I think that those guys know that that's going to be the measuring stick. Can you can you shut this guy down? Can you completely take him out of the game and make him a non-factor? Um, can you frustrate him? Liverpool you know? did it with Konate yeah. and Van Dyke had an amazing game. Yeah. And that yeah. ended up being the key, right? If you look yeah. at Liverpool this season, when they haven't had success, it's been because one of their center backs made a mistake in the game. Right. In a lot of cases. They yeah. both had a great game. It takes a lot though. I mean, yeah. let's just call it as it is. This guy is, uh, he's pretty good. Holland. He's, like, uh, he is. Yeah. Uh, he's shattered the record now for yeah. goals in the season. Hey, listen, he's he's on that pace, man. Uh, I think he's got to score what thirty-two goals. I think it was. He's got thirty-two. I think is the record. Yeah, I think he's got to get up to thirty-three goals. So I mean, he he certainly can. Um, so we'll uh, you know, we'll see how that uh, you know, how that's gonna shake out for him. But uh, I he's yeah, he's had an unbelievable season. You can't deny that. And um, you know, and it's and it's too bad that I can't enjoy it. <laughs> oh yeah. Because, because every goal he scores uh, is is a threat to Arsenal's chances. Well, I can't even win. enjoy it either. I just yeah. don't like Manchester City. Yeah. So every right. time, every time I see him out there with them, I think it's too easy. My hope yeah. for his career is that I get it. You start at Manchester City. You start at the best league in the world. You're already ready for it. You've got a team to support you in the most perfect way. They're literally they've built this new new look Man City around feeding Holland. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to work. I think it could work better in the Champions League. I think at the same time, I hope he leaves for Real Madrid in two Mm -hmm. years and then spends some time there, maybe comes and comes to, uh, you know, maybe Italy. I don't know about that. And maybe he'll come back to the Premier League later on. I have no idea. Just 
please only stay two years at Man City because I don't want to keep watching this anymore. It's, he it's every week. He does, he does, and and I was uh, I was naturally very pissed when it was like, all right, he's he's gonna end up there, um, and and I was hoping that uh, so he and Martin Odegaard are are very close friends, and I was hoping maybe Martin could have done um, a good job of you know trying to recruit him over to come and play, um, but uh, his, so his father also played at Man City, so I know. yeah, so for him, I I think. Um, once I found that out, I was like, all right, you know, he's, yeah, he's God a damn it, Alfie. Yeah. Come on, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. So, um, yeah. So a few other teams I want to just talk about this year because yeah. it has, it's really interesting season. Uh, everyone expected Manchester City fighting for the title. That's not that big mm-hmm. of a surprise. Um, they got a game in hand. So say they win their next game, right? They'll be five points back really of Arsenal. Um, yeah. after that draw today against Newcastle, and oh, playing Chelsea next, so that that oh they're gonna they get an easy dub in that one, obviously. Hey, listen, I mean, uh, listen, I'll I'll put on a blue shirt for that game. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but I can't stand them, man. I can't. Yeah, stand I... They they literally just spent three hundred million in the past off season on yeah. many relatively useless players like Cucurella, for example. Right, mm. like that's a sixty million transfer going nowhere, and I think everyone yeah. saw that from the start. Um, yeah. Now they're going to sign, you know, Nkunku, Enzo Fernandez, probably Gavardiol, like Declan Rice. Why? They're after him. Declan Rice, why not? Yeah. Bring him in. Yeah. Bring yeah. him in. It's yeah. I can't stand that team. Either way, we only talk about relevant teams on mm-hmm. this show. So no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We got to include them in the conversation, right? If we're, if we're talking about who's going to fight for that, um, that fourth champions league spot, because I think Newcastle is going to mm-hmm. stay in third place. What are your thoughts on them and Eddie Howe and the season that they've had? I love the way they play. It feels like they really trying most games, trying mm-hmm. attack the entire time. And they've got yeah. some guys that are really, really good on the ball. They're just missing that classic number nine. They're missing the goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got some really exciting players all the way, all the way through their 11. What are your thoughts on them and their season that they've had and how sustainable is this even before the Saudi investment to continue mm-hmm. the success um, to yeah. the end of the season? Well, so Newcastle is one of those teams that if you follow the premier league for a long time, um, uh, you know, when they had the likes of uh, Alan Shera, uh, you know, scoring left and right for them. I mean, they were an exciting, tough team to play against. Um, and they're certainly one of the, most celebrated clubs, I, I think, in, in the history of the Premier League. Um, so um, last year when we played them towards the end of the season, you know, that was that was a tough loss because that basically guaranteed we were done in the Champions League. And so I was really hoping to come out and, and, and really, you know, light them up today. Uh, that did not happen. It was a 0-0 draw. I, I think that um, – I was not impressed with the way that they play and uh, I'm not speaking as a bitter fan or anything like that. Uh, just Newcastle, there was no desire. I don't think to attack. Um, uh, they were uh, at times more concerned with trying to work the ref than they were with actually playing the game. You think that has uh, so, to do with having played only a couple days ago though? Cause they just yeah. played Leeds, and I watched that game and they, they took, they tried to take it to them through the entire game. I thought Leeds, who are defensively not very good actually had yeah. one of their best games. Mm-hmm. Um, because Newcastle was really like they had chances throughout the entire game. Do you think that has yeah. to do more with um 
you know, playing recently, or you think that's tactical against a team like Arsenal? No, no, I, I think I, I think that that is tactical. Uh, they they brought in some very uh, solid players. Uh, I mean, um, Eddie Howe, the job that he's done uh, with uh, Joe Ellington, who was you know lining up to be a bust signing, useless, yeah. And uh, what he's been able to do with him tactically, tactically this year, and and playing him at a different position, uh, and putting him in a position to be successful, he's he's definitely been. Uh, a much improved player. I think the signing of Bruno Guimarães was a, a, a huge yeah, pickup. Huge. They really solidified their midfield. Um, and even former Arsenal product, uh, Joe Willock, who I always liked as a player, but, um, you know, I I think he was going to have a tough time cracking into the starting 11, especially after we picked up Odegaard. So naturally he, uh, he was sold and he ended up there. Uh, I, I, you're right. Um, and they've got Almiron out on the uh, right wing. Almiron is yeah. maybe the best player in the Premier League through he's got, 15 not, like, games beside Holland. Goals, I think. Yeah, he's he's doing very well. So they've got they've got some great players. The goalkeeper uh, is what, like I think now on six or seven straight uh, clean sheets. Yeah, uh, clean great sheets player. for the season. Yeah. Um, and the the defense in front of him, uh, Kieran Trippier going back gives them. Uh, maybe not so much as a defender, but what he does going forward as an attacker and his uh, set-piece ability. Um, One of his better really, years. One of yeah. his better years of his career. Yeah, so they, they've, they've added some really uh, some really important pieces to, to fit what they're looking to do. Um, so uh, it was, it was a, a tight, cagey affair today, I think. Um, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see you know, what happens when we play them in the return game? Because, um, you know, I, I think Arsenal, um, both teams had opportunities today. I think Arsenal definitely uh, had more opportunities, especially early in the game. Um, and uh, it, it became a very choppy game. A lot of guys going down, a lot of fouls, a lot of cards being handed out. Um, and it, it just, yeah, it was, the flow of the game uh, was very interrupted, I thought. It wasn't the back and forth affair that you would expect two teams that are challenging for the, uh, for the title. So uh, I'm hoping for a better product uh, on the return game up at, uh, up at Newcastle. Can I, can I get my take on this? Sure. Simple. No need to overcomplicate midweek games. Yeah. They, they just suck. It's yeah. just here and there. You're going to get some good ones. I actually think big picture. We have a really serious issue with how much we've crammed in these schedules. Um, mm. I, there's no need to play this many, this many, uh, two games a week, like it yeah. just it shouldn't. They shouldn't be playing two games a week this often. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's already taxing enough. You look at some of the displacement of talent too. Like, for mm-hmm. example, we talked about how Manchester City has unbelievable depth, whereas yeah. a team like Arsenal has got an unbelievable starting eleven, and they don't have to do much mm-hmm. to work with coming off the bench. Or if people get injured, um, yeah. it's going to be a huge blow to the team. So. Mm-hmm. I think they need to learn to space this out a little bit more. Not really. I don't necessarily have a solution for that yeah. quite yet, other than just extend the season a little bit and then spread out the games. Um, yeah. But either way, this was a weird season. What um, what about moving off of Newcastle? Obviously, Tottenham looked like they're toast. Uh, they've been mm-hmm. trending in a really bad direction since Kulusevski's health um, started to waver. Mm-hmm. They just have shown that they're not really the same team without him on the right side. Um, they just don't look like they have a good team at all anymore, actually. What happened with them? 
why are why do they look like they're out of it? And I'm so, I'm not necessarily surprised with my guy Conte because he does the same thing he always does. Starts as hot as you can possibly get. They were 17, 5 and 5 last season with him. Mm-hmm. Um now they look like they're going to fall out of European um play in general. What happened? Um interesting enough, uh you know, uh <laughs> You love to hate that team uh, as an <laughs> Arsenal fan. Um, I will say this. I, I think, so you mentioned Kolosevsky uh, not being there. Um, and admittedly, I haven't watched enough uh, to notice the uh, the depth of his absence and what it means for the team. Um, but the games that I have seen, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he, coming off that right wing and putting the ball on his left foot, uh, he's a very dangerous player. Um, I think Tottenham, um, they don't have a right back. Um, and so they're vulnerable in that in that regard. Uh, and even with the center backs that they have, um, those guys are shaky at times. And there's, there's a revolving door between, the, you know, with Sanchez and Langley that they brought in from uh, from Barcelona, uh, Eric Dyer, and, so, uh, and then we've got Davis, who actually usually plays on the left back, but can play centrally for them. So, they don't the, the the back line is not very strong at um, all yeah it's not i think in the midfield um i mean they have what button uh bentancor is probably their the shining midfielder if you will but other than him uh, i mean they brought in gives busoma from brighton but you know he's again been in and out of the lineup there's no consistency there i think in a starting 11 and i i think the biggest the Biggest piece, I think, for them is the fact that uh, Hyunmin Son has just not had a good season. Yeah. Up to this point. Last year, he and Harry Kane lit it up. Um, and uh, that those goals, I think, have dried up. And just there's been so much inconsistency uh, in, in their finishing ability this year that uh, that has put them at a disadvantage, I think. And uh, it goes back to the point you were just saying, where you don't have the depth where either guys get injured or if they're out of form, you don't have anyone else to come in and uh, and take those minutes and, and hopefully give you that that boost. And um, and and that, uh, you know, I think has been a real disadvantage for them. And when you look yeah, on the flip side on. with 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 Arsenal, I, I think that one of the reasons why we've been able to be so successful this year is that week in, week out, we've rolled out the same starting lineup. And those guys have gotten the opportunity to play with each other and really gel and groove. Um, and they know where the other guys are going to be. They know what the other guys are going to do, the sort of runs that, that they're going to make. Um, and even with Gabriel Jesus being injured, um, Eddie Nketia is, I mean, he's he's filling in okay. He scored in the, in the you know, two goals in the last three games. Uh, I, I think you need a more proven goal scorer in that position. I think Eddie's a great player that is off the bench, gives you a great change of pace and he's, he's fast and, uh, and he has a great motor. He's going to work hard, but um, he's not as lethal as a finish as you want um, in that spot. And so um, we'll see if Arsenal goes into the market, uh, not to change topics, but if Arsenal goes into the market to improve the team, having said that, I don't know if Tottenham is who they're going to, who they can bring in, because they've already got you know minutes um and and a lot of money tied in to those positions uh so they're in a really tough they're in a really tough spot i mean and you talk about a lack of depth like 
they're literally bringing on Sessegnon and mm-hmm. freaking Emerson Royale off the bench. Like, yeah. They're, yeah. they're really struggling, too. I think that's a big piece of it. You said it, too. I, I agree. I, I, if you look at what's happened with Tottenham, they're, they're, they don't have the center backs. Mm-hmm. That's for certain. Buying Longley was a – I think it might have been a loan move for him. But like, It's a loan. It's a loan with an option to buy, I believe. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a questionable move for me in general. Romero, yeah. I think, is a good player if he's playing around a couple other good center backs. Yeah. Um, but in general, too – I, one thing I don't like about Conte's system is I feel like their midfield can get overrun pretty easily. Yeah. Um, the two-man midfield, it's just – it's really hard to do and hard, hard to pull off unless you got two absolute studs. And I think Hoybierg's a good player, and I mm-hmm. think Benton is playing his role decently well. But I think for the team, it's pretty hard It's pretty hard to beat any any team that does even decently well possessing the football uh, when mm-hmm. you play that style. So yeah. either way – Final question here regarding some of these other Premier League teams. Mm-hmm. Who do you think gets in to that fourth Champions League spot? Say Newcastle stays. Or if you don't think Newcastle stays, what do you think happens? So that's a that's a great question. Um wow. Uh I think it's hard. Um it's hard to discount a team like Liverpool uh, and I know Man, Man United is uh, you know it's got a few points I think seven points ahead of them I think um, yeah right right now they are right seven now. points and yeah right now they are on 17 games yeah yeah both yeah so uh, there's no game in hand there um, I think there's just way too much time Liverpool for them to to miss out on it um, and um, and I don't know uh, I mean, with Man United, who who knows? I mean, maybe getting rid of Cristiano Ronaldo was a great move because it sort of brought some stability and took away from some of the distractions there. Um, so, yeah, honestly, I think it's a toss-up between Man United and Liverpool for that fourth and final Champions League spot. Um, but Liverpool is a team that can catch fire, you know what I mean? Um, and and uh, it, it's sort of – it's really been, you know, uh, it's a head-scratcher to see <laughs> – how much they struggled this year and how they can't get out of their own way. I mean, they just took another loss to, to Brentford, uh, Brentford yesterday um, that, you know, played amazingly. And uh, I mean, right now, Darwin Nunez couldn't hit the broad side of a bar. Uh, <laughs> He's a, bar, a weird rather. player. He's a weird and, player. He's another one I feel, I feel badly for, because when you talk about young players, mm-hmm. again, everybody has to adjust. Everybody goes through their growing pains. I feel like, a because his transfer fee was so high. B yeah. because he's a weird personality. I think he's kind of a he's kind of a strange dude. If he's a hothead, at- man. I think he's easy. You see, and I think like that's yeah. the problem with him is I think he he he's a player that I, I imagine you can easily get under his skin. Oh, you know? big time. yeah. And 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 then you throw him off. Now I I do I love the signing of Cody Gakpo. I um you know there was some links between him and Arsenal last summer, and uh, the more research I did into him, I said, hi, oh, you know, this, this could be a great pickup, sort of like a, a Van Persie 2.0. Um, and uh, Liverpool swooping in there and and um, and taking him away from Man United, who I think was, was poised to sign him. Um, you know, that yep. that I think could be a, a, a great boost for them because they've had a lot of injury with those forward positions and uh, and it's showed on the field. Um, uh, yeah, without Diaz, Diaz they're really not the same yeah. team, huh? Yeah. 
Diaz is injured. Um, you know, uh, Diego Jot has been injured. Um, and uh, Firmino just got hurt a couple of games ago. So they're, they're really struggling up top. And to be honest with you, it really kind of makes you wonder, uh, post Sadio Mane, uh, that attack has not looked the same. Um, no. And, you know, and, and not to take anything away from him because Mo Salah is just an incredible talent. But it makes you wonder, you know, <laughs> Because you would imagine he would be the one to shine in the absence of Sadio Mane, but um, him not being there, I think, left a huge void, and they have not filled it. I just think you need balance in that yeah. front three in the system that Klopp wants to play. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't have DS, and like you said, Jota, who's your depth guy, or he's the, he's the fill-in guy if somebody else is injured, isn't mm-hmm. there, what can you really do? And they tried tinkering with the system a little bit, which I thought was the right move. They went to a uh, 4 2 one, three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that went okay for a little bit. I still think right now, if you add in one more midfielder, which they're mm-hmm. going to do, I think they bring the guy from Wolves who looks really promising. What's it, Nuno um, Miharis or something like that? Um, Mateus Nunes, my bad. I think oh. it was a totally different guy. Oh, Mateus Nunes, interesting because um, they just uh, they just Wolves just got him. Um, at the start of the uh, they're the bidding the fifty summer. million. They're uh, Liverpool's bidding fifty million for him. I saw Nico Nico Shero, one of the football insiders, the really really well plugged in guy, yeah. says they're going to bid bid fifty million for him. But they're also looking yeah. at Amrabat and. There are a few other, a few other yeah. names like that, like affordable guys who are really are like known to be very yeah. talented. Um, mm-hmm. So they're going to make one more signing in midfield. And I think Gapka was a great signing. They'll get Diaz back. Eventually they'll get some of these other guys back eventually. And I yeah. agree with you. I, th- I think they're going to end up being in fourth place. I just don't think it is Ma- Manchester United, certainly getting better, certainly trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might have been the yeah, it might have been the best thing ever for them that they yeah. got rid of Cristiano Ronaldo. But I could still see with the team that they have there, like they still have terrible center backs. They still don't have mm-hmm. the full ba- convincing fullbacks. They still have, they still have a midfield where Casemiro is the only midfielder I take seriously on that team. Mm-hmm. And from an attacking perspective, like I just don't necessarily know what their best team or even their best front three looks like. Yeah. Um, so they're still in a little bit of a transition. I think with the core that Liverpool's kept, they'll probably end up sneaking that there. And believe it or not, um, I was pretty baffled when I initially saw this, but Chelsea played 16 games. They have 25 mm-hmm. points. If they – Liverpool – Tottenham, Man U, all played 17 games. Liverpool has 28 points. So if Chelsea wins uh, their next game, they're, they're even on points with Liverpool mm-hmm. and even on yeah. the game. So yeah. with the talent that they have and their the pockets that they have, um, they could eventually go back up too. So who knows? Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. Some of those injuries really hurt them. And then you we didn't even mention Artur Melo, who they loaned in for the season and hasn't even played because he's been injured. So – yeah, uh, you're right. I think, yeah, uh, I, I think another um, another midfield, I think, will go a long way towards uh, towards helping them, um, you know, have another option there to play and uh, and give them some quality minutes. So before we close this out, mm-hmm. a few things. 
one of the signings that Arsenal's been actually linked with is Mudrik from Shakhtar. Yep. I love this kid. I, I mean, he's magic with the ball at his feet. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems like a perfect player for Arsenal because, like, as good as Gabriel and uh, sorry, yeah, Gabriel Martinelli and Saka are with the ball, he's mm-hmm. a monster. Like, he can take guys on and win in almost any part of the field. But I think from a ball progression standpoint, they don't they don't have a guy quite like Mudrik. This would be a pretty mm-hmm. dynamic signing, worth worth shelling out 70, 80 million? Uh, I I would say. Definitely worth signing. I don't know if uh if I would go that high for a player um for a player that hasn't you know you, you kind of want to reserve that kind of money for a player who's a proven commodity, right? Um now uh you know funny you 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 know we were making jokes about it earlier. I was reading today that uh Chelsea's looking to slide in there and try to sign Mudrick. Surprise. Oh, <laughs> yeah right. Me, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I would love, yeah, I too, I would love to bring in that signing, um, because uh, Martinelli, I mean, uh, he's a player who's had some opportunities to play centrally. So, uh, you know, in the uh, in the absence of Gabriel Jesus, you could even slide in Martinelli to play central and have Mudrik play on that left side. That's what I'd be um, yeah, um, and now you have just three very pasty forwards coming at you who are going to press and work hard. So uh, I would like to see what that would look like. Um, I I, th- I would love another midfield signing, a, a player that Arsenal was linked with all summer, it seemed, and, um, and I mean, could end up happening, who knows, um, as a free transfer. But uh, Yuri Tielemans from, yeah. um, from Leicester City, I mean, I... I get it. You, if you can sign the guy for free, why spend money for him? That's but, what I'm saying. That was going to be – I knew what you were going to say, and that's going to be my whole point. But here's the thing, though. Like, you're in a position where you could push to go – like, put your chips on the table and go out and try to win this championship, and bringing in a guy like that would provide you with depth and cover and another, you know, box-to-box midfielder who can do a lot of great things for you, who can offer you uh, another great player on the ball who can pass – uh, who's very solid at set pieces. Not that we need another person for that, but you know, embarrassment and riches, I'll take it. So I don't know. I would, I would, I would do that. I, I would go and spend money and bring in that guy, bring in Mudrik, um, and then, um, and then shore up, um, and shore up some some depth, uh, some much needed depth, I think, um, in, um, you know, which is starting eleven, and and hopefully that will be enough to get you over the top. I think too would probably be worth it for Arsenal to invest in some center back depth in particular because one of those guys goes down, you're in really big trouble. So you're right. So you could slide. You could slide in Ben. Um, you know Ben White. So you have three very. See, that's the, I think one of the the great things about this is that you have three center backs that have been playing at the same time. So if you need to, you know, manipulate things and things. Yeah, you have the fullback depth to replace White too. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, but you you have you have uh three players that are in good form because they've been playing the entire season. Um, because sometimes it's tough to slide a guy in who hasn't really seen a lot of playing time into a team that's been grooving and gelling, and 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 oftentimes guys will struggle uh in a position situation like that. But you know, here you have the benefit of having three guys that have played basically every minute of the season so far. So, um, it's uh it's 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 a in that regard, it's a good um, 
that's a good problem to have, I guess. That is a pretty good problem to have. Honestly, you might have changed my perspective a little bit on that. I, I would have I would have said for Arsenal, they really needed to go out and get a center back. And I still think they do need to. Mm-hmm. Just have like a good solid fourth guy in there. Like you never know how they're gonna even adapt the system to like you're you you when you play that many center backs, you definitely do need someone off the bench who's strong too. Um that said that's a really good problem to have when you have that many fullbacks who can mm-hmm. actually play, who can actually yeah. slot in. Even though Tomayasu was pretty terrible against Brighton. What happened there? Uh, boy, I tell you what, I think, still, I think he's still trying to find his legs and, um, and he, he's had some injury issues and um, it, it was, I think a tough spot to come into Um because uh, there you had uh, the player there from uh, from Brighton who was just, you know, in the zone. And I, I think he was just yeah, that thrown into the game. Sick yeah. on that first yeah. goal. Oof. Yeah, I think Chelsea just put in a bid for that guy. Uh, oh, yeah, probably. He scored <laughs> one goal. They're going to bid. Chelsea's going to bid 60 million. Um, but, um, you know, all kidding aside, I, I think that that's, that was a tough spot to come in. You're coming in cold, and here's a guy who's just been electric, really, for the majority of the game. So um, It's tough to uh, sub I, in a defensive yeah. player, too. Sorry to cut you off. It it's- really is, man. It really is, especially in those positions, because you're asking a guy to come in and have to go out and defend on an island. Um, and you're still, again, like I said, you're still trying to, you know, catch up to the speed of the game. And this guy's... Yeah. Well oiled, and he's been going at it all game. Um, so I, again, I think that that was just a tough spot. I I, I question Arteta's um, idea in in making that switch at the, in that moment in the game. But I mean, I guess ultimately it worked out because he got the win. But uh, it was it was definitely a very nervy affair those last uh, ten minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's everything I wanted to talk with you about today. This was awesome. This is like. You, I, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say it's my favorite conversation because <laughs> I had other great, I, other great conversations, but yeah. it was, this was pretty awesome. It was great to hey, have man, you. Listen, I hey, miss listen, I, I appreciate you, you having me on, man. Uh, you know, you and I can talk, uh, we can talk shop about this all day. And, and, and oftentimes we do, uh, as I said, you know, we're, we're two, two people who are not only passionate about the game, but, uh, you know, we, we study the game. We don't, we don't confine ourselves to just watching the teams that we are fans of. I think that, you know, uh, if you're a fan of the game, you watch the game, you appreciate it. You, you look at what other teams are doing. Um, You know, even when I was still coaching, um, when I was still coaching soccer here at the high school level, um, I would, I would actually have my players. I I would give them a weekly assignment to watch a professional game in, in, in European soccer, not the MLS, uh, but watch a professional yeah. game where the best players in the world are playing uh, and, and give me a game report. Uh, you know, uh, the head coach and I, we we demanded that from our players because we wanted them to become students of the game. You know, watch the game. He has specific players for you to watch. And I mean, and every year I had a I had a, a whole list of, of uh, itemized players, goalkeepers, right backs, left backs, so on and so forth. Every position in the field um, in the That's list awesome. of who, who these are the players to watch this is where they play this is what number they wear you know uh and these are the players to watch and critique the game become a student of the game understand it on a cerebral level um because you know you can't be a great player if you are not a student of the game i don't think athleticism only takes you so far 
Um, and, um, you know, and that's, that's the difference, I think, between, you know, players that are good uh, and, and the all-time greats, you know what I mean? Um, you know, we, we yeah. probably, I would love to come back and, and talk some more. I think there was some more stuff we wanted to chop it up about, uh, you know. Well, some I'll of have you on again. I want to have, yes. I don't mind having recurring guests. That's the thing, Let's man. Do it. The whole point of the show is just to create some good conversations, have some good conversations about yeah. the game different topics every week if we can. Right. And it's like yeah. last week we did more La Liga focus. Yeah. You know, the, the week before was more just kind of general little world cup than a little preview of what's going on now in the club football. But you know, want to mm -hmm. try and change the conversation. And like you said, what's great about talking with you always is that we like different leagues. I think people mm -hmm. really get bogged down. Like, Oh, I'm watching the premier league. That's all I know. It's all I care about. Or like well, they like so, so pick a team. <laughs> Go ahead, what was, no, I was gonna say you're right. You, and um, not to sound elitist, but people who, who who say that are are individuals who I think are, are sort of following the the trend or the fad of like now it's cool to watch soccer and have a Premier League exactly. team and and all of that. Listen, man, it's like just okay. so much it, it is what it is. It is. It is. Hey, listen, that, that's more people coming to the sport, more right. people getting into it. So I'm I'm fine with that. Um, I do feel bad for all the people who somehow find, you know, become Tottenham fans because that's just, you know, they're, 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 they're basically signing to captain the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, what else? Passengers, bro. They're just passengers, too. That's the problem. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, what a terrible team. So <laughs> on that note, I, I tried to keep it professional, but I can't. I, uh, yeah, they flat out suck. So no, we, don't have... we don't need to be professional here. Yeah. Uh, All right, yes. man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. I had a great time. Hey, excellent. Thanks for having me on. Let's do this again soon, all right, bud? No doubt. All right, all right. That's a wrap, everyone. Thank you for listening. Take it easy. Have a good rest of your week.